Hello, good evening everyone, and I'm so excited uh, that I get to preach again tonight, um, and so I'm just going to get right into it, so I'm going to say a quick word of prayer, and then we can dive right in. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for Emmaus SNU. I thank you, Lord, that your presence is here, God, and that there is a word um, that you want to release tonight that's going to build us up in greater levels of faith and greater levels of knowing your love for us and knowing who we are. So, God, I just pray that every heart would just be fertile soil, ready to receive the seeds of your word, God, and that it would bear much great fruit in our lives. So, God, um, yeah, we bless your name. We thank you, Jesus, that you are in this place, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to read a passage, and it comes from Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through Eight, um, And so you guys can open your Bibles and I'll just read from the ESV. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so the word that I feel like the Lord has given me today um, for this group is on idolatry. And so I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word idol, when you think of the word idolatry. So I want you to just take a second and be like, think of what that word means. What's it, what comes to mind? What are the first things that comes to mind? For some people, it may be like the images and the carved golden calf from the Old Testament that we hear about or just these statues that people bow down to. For other people, you might think of like K-pop idols. And I don't know why they use that word. I hate that word when they use it for idols. And then when I think of like idols, I would think of when I was like a little girl and I idolized Britney Spears. Like, I loved her. I thought, like, man, if I could be anyone in the world, I want to be Britney Spears. And so I remember this one year, I think I was, like, third or fourth grade. Like, for those who grew grew up in America, I'm not sure if you remember, but they used to have, like, these posters to encourage reading for students, and they put, like, celebrity faces on them. And one poster, my library had an extra one of Britney Spears. And I was like, I need that poster. And um, they held, like, an essay contest at our school. And so I wrote, like, the best essay of my life so I could get that poster. And I won it, and I was so happy. And I stuck it in my room right next to my Justin Timberlake poster. And I was like... No, and the reason why I love Britney so much was, one, I thought she was, like, amazing. But, two, it's, like, I love Justin Timberlake, and I thought I was going to marry him. And so I would just, like, stare at my posters, like, all day. And, like, I idolized this person. That was, like, what I wanted to become. But praise the Lord, I have not become like her. Um, uh, she, like, no, 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 I'm just saying, like, I like my life. My life is good. I don't need the crazy Britney life, but... Um, Maybe I should pray for her too. But uh, anyways, so I'm not sure what comes to your mind when... (laughs) I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of the word idolatry or idol, but I'll give you the definition that I got from the dictionary of idol. And I was actually kind of surprised at what it said. And it says, it's a representation or a symbol of an object of worship, a likeness of something. And part B is something that is obsolete. It's it's an imposter or a pretender. And the part that really blew me away that is in the secular Bible, or not Bible, secular dictionary, (laughs) is it says, a form or appearance visible but without substance. 
Like the dictionary, I thought that would be something that came from like the Bible, like the Bible's version of an idol. But the very word idol in the dictionary, if you look it up, it's a form or appearance of something but that is visible that you can see, but it has absolutely no substance. No substance. And it's an object of extreme devotion. And so um, I feel like this is a very important word for us because if you look at human culture, if you look at any culture in the world, whether you're American, whether you're Korean, whether you're Malaysian, you're African, you're Southeast Asian, you're Asian, um, like, where is it? South America, anywhere in the world, if you get my gist. Every culture, every person, there's something that we're living for. If you're Christian or not Christian, there's a God that you are serving. Whether you know it or not, even if you say you're an atheist, there's something in your heart that is burning on you to achieve and to like move and gives you purpose. And if we don't have the right thing on our hearts, if we're not chasing after the right God, we're going to live a life of emptiness. If we're not chasing after the right thing, we're going to live a life of just discouragement and we're going to come to the end of our days thinking, what was the point? What was the point? And we're going to feel this disappointment. So this is why I feel like this um, word is really crucial. And so um, I want to get into what exactly is idolatry. And we heard this definition of what an idol is, but what idolatry exactly is is you take the complete joy of this world and you build your entire life upon it that you take something that is good a lot of times the idols that we have in our life they're actually good things they can be relationships friendships we are all created for relationship it can be your job it can be um even money money is not a bad thing it can be the acceptance of others it can be all these different things but when you elevate that one thing to a higher position than god when you allow that one thing to have greater authority and who is and saying who you are and saying the purpose of your life it has become an idol it has become idolatry and what oftentimes what we see with idolatry is not first on the outside of our actions, but it starts with our heart. Idolatry is a heart action. You see idolatry creeping into the hearts of people, and it later permeates to our outside physical, controlling our actions. And so it says, um, I was reading the book Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, and he actually preached or he's teaching on what idolatry is and how things like power, money, sex, relationships, whatever, they take hold of our lives and we elevate these good things that God gave us as blessings and we allow them to become our gods. And he says that we take, um, the human heart takes good things such as a successful career, as money, as family, relationships, and acceptance of others and makes them into ultimate things. And that you ultimately place your security and identity in these things and this is what idolatry is and so if you have anything in your life that becomes more important to you than god if anything in your life has a greater sway in the decisions you make or the things that you're working towards if anything in your life gives you a greater um, sense of significance than who god is then that has become an idol and if anything becomes more fundamental than god to your happiness meaning in life and identity it is an idol. And that is what Tim Keller says. So I want you guys to think, um, is there anything in your life that has become more fundamental to your happiness than God? Is there anything in your life where you feel like, man, if I don't have this, my life has no purpose. If I don't achieve this, then I have ultimately failed. If I don't receive this grade, if I don't get these grades, if I don't get the approval from my family, if I can't get this job, if I can't get this dream white house with the picket fence in this amazing kitchen can you still be happy and this is a word that is really dear to my heart because um 
I feel like it's something that God has speaking to me personally for like these last, I mean, for my whole life, everyone needs this word because we all have idols, but this is something really personal to me uh, these last year or so. And so um, it got to the point where I was so unhappy of being where I was because I was, I said, God, I don't have my dream job. I am far away from some of my closest friends. Uh, my family is a mess, and I don't have my dream house where I want to raise my 2.5 kids and be their soccer mom and drive them in the minivan. That is the, my dream life. And I had elevated to the point, it sounds like funny now, but that was like my heart like longed for that so much to the point where I was like, God, if I don't have that, what's the point of me even living? Like, I knew you bring transformation to my life. I know how you set me free. But if I don't get this one dream that I have that I believe you placed in my heart, I can never be happy. And then he confronted this idol that I had in my life. And he's saying, he was saying to me, Michelle, like, I redeemed you. I brought breakthrough to you. I have surrounded you with a community. I have provided for you. I have all these blessings for you, but yet you are still not satisfied with my presence. And so this is a, a very personal word to me because this is like kind of like the journey that I've been on for a while now. And um, yeah, I feel like when we enter into a place of having certain idols that we're stepping away from the things that God has planned for us, that it blinds us to the things that God has one already given us or the things that he wants to give us. And it disillusions us, making us feel like we haven't received the fullness of God's blessing or it disillusions us to make us feel like we are in lack in every single way or it disillusions us to make us feel like God is unfaithful or he's never going to um, remain faithful to us. But I think God wants to confront that mindset right now and really reveal that his love and his heart is always for us, that he is a faithful and a good God. But in order to see that part, he has, in order for us to see that part of him, he has to be number one. He has to be the number one. And so um, one of the dangers of idolatry is they can be very enticing. They can be very deceiving. Because like I said, a lot of times these idols are good things. Um, wanting to be successful in your school or in your career, that's a good thing. Wanting to have deep relationships, that is a good thing. Wanting the um, acceptance of your family, of your friends, that those are all good things. But it kind of bring idols bring like a counterfeit of what God wants in our relationship to him. Because our relationship... With God, is supposed to, we're supposed to love him, we're supposed to trust him, and we want, we're supposed to obey him. That's what our relationship should be like. Because out of love that we have for God, we are able to trust him. Out of love, we're able to obey him. But a lot of times, idols, they bring in a counterfeit saying, love me, trust me, and obey me. And they start to enslave us. And that is why idolatry is so dangerous. Um, each and every single person in this room, that we were created for a purpose, um, and we were created for this need to feel significant, to know our worth, to know that um, we have a great destiny ahead of us. And even like the greatest human minds who are even Christians, they have, they're always pondering like, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Why have I been brought onto this earth? And every heart and every soul is searching, searching, meh, searching for that answer. Um, but idolatry always gives us something that always lacks. It always falls short. And God wants us to be awakened to this truth that these things, um, they're meant to bless us, but they're not meant to enslave us. Idols, like money, 
it's meant to bless us. It's not meant to enslave us. Relationships, it's, they're meant to bless us, not enslave us. But when we start being spurred by having to have the acceptance of others, everything that they do, if they accept us, we're good. If they accept us, we're like on this high. But once they say a word against us, once we don't receive the love for them, we're like at the all-time low. We're at like this pit where we feel so ins- insignificant. And... Um, I want you guys to think of every promise that God has given you or even the promises that are in the word and even just the biggest dreams and hopes and desires that you know have been on place on your heart from God, the purposes that he has spoken to you, the things that were so clear to you, these purposes and these dreams, and you're walking towards these things by idols. What Satan does is he uses these idols to distract us, to get us off this path, and we see the destination so clear ahead of us, but the moment that we let idolatry come into our hearts, we start veering, the path starts to get blurry. And this is why we need to continually ask ourselves, is God number one in my heart? Am I, the, am I chasing after God? Am I walking on this path with my eyes fixed upon Jesus? Or am I looking upon this relationship? Am I looking for this career? Am I looking for even my dream to come true? And one of the examples that um, Tim Keller gave in his book and that we can see in the Bible is the story of Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would give him a son. And imagine... For people who want to be parents and even get married, like you're, you desire and you long to have children, and that is a good desire to have. It's a God-given desire to have and raise a family. And so imagine you're old age, and you long so much to have a child, and God comes to you and encounters you and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. And so this is the very promise of God, that he would have a son. And Abraham took that promise, but it soon began it could go to a place where it becomes an idolatry or an idol for him. And um, back in that day, like the firstborn son, it means like the future of your family. Your family rests upon your lineage. And so it's so much more than just simply having a child, but this is like the future of his family. It's the future of his lineage rests upon this son. And so what we see with the story of Abraham is he wrestles a lot with this promise because there's so much Um, disbelief because of his old age but he chose to believe and have faith yet somewhere along the way he had Ishmael who was not supposed to be part of the promise and that can also um, be a representation of how he idolized his dream so much or this promise so much that he walked out of God's plans for him but then we also look later that when Isaac is born God tests him and he is finally given the most precious thing to him Isaac is the most precious thing that he has and Um, When God tells uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he even refers to Isaac as your one and only son. He doesn't, God doesn't even consider Ishmael as his son at this point, but he's saying, come and sacrifice your one and only son. And we see God testing Abraham um, with this son because God knew that it could so easily become an idol. And he wanted to make sure that God had number one place in his heart. He wanted to make sure that Abraham put God first. Even though this son is a good thing, even though the son was a promise of God, he wanted to make sure that more than the promises, that Abraham was fully satisfied in God. And something that I felt like God was speaking to me was, a lot of us were even holding on to dreams and holding on to promises that are good. These promises, you're supposed to hold on to them. You're supposed to look towards them. But are you allowing these promises to take precedence over God himself? Are you allowing the promises that God has given to you to have greater priority than the simple presence of God? 
Has your heart become to the place where, God, if I don't have this promise fulfilled in my life, I cannot be happy. I cannot have significance. Because sometimes in the waiting, God will test our hearts. Are you, I know that you're waiting, and I know that you want to hold on to this promise, but can you be satisfied with me right now? Can you be content with me right now? Can you be happy with simply with who I am right now? God is a faithful God. He is a God who is committed to his word, so he will bring these promises to pass. But in the waiting and in the trying, are you going to be satisfied in him alone? And so um, I think there's actually like an irony that comes with idolatry because they promise us all these good things. They promise us satisfaction. They promise us greater levels of authority or power or um, certain things. They promise us to give us all that our hearts desire. But the more you idolize something, the more you come up empty. The more you idolize something, you're actually unable to enjoy it because idolatry is usually spurred on by fear. So imagine you're like a CEO or you're working in um, a business place and your career has become your very idol. And all you can think about is elevating to new levels, elevating to new levels. And you're only consumed by the spheres. If I don't do this, if I don't network with this person, if I don't do this project, then I cannot move up. And you're consumed by this fear that you might lose it, that you might not make it. And so you can't even enjoy what you're sacrificing your life towards. And isn't that the saddest thing that you could do, that there's something that God wants you to enjoy but you have placed so much of your own personal significance into it that you can't even enjoy it, that you're consumed by the fear that you're going to lose it, that you're consumed by the fear that if it is taken away from you, your life has fallen apart. But God wants us to live lives of freedom. God wants us to live lives of joy. Our God wants us to live lives knowing that we have been created for a purpose, knowing that our God is for us and with us and walking alongside us and taking us and leading us. But the moment that we allow another God to come and take place and root in our hearts, we start to walk in discouragement. We start to walk in disillusionment. We start to walk in deception. And um, ultimately, idols, they fail us. If we see God, he is a God who never fails. He is always committed to his word. He is always committed to um, bringing freedom to his people. If you look even at the story of Israelites, no matter how many times they turned his back on him, no matter how many times they questioned him, no matter how many times they didn't believe him, God was faithful to bring them to the promised land. And he even said, no matter how many times you turn your back against me, my heart is always going to be for Israel. My heart is for this people, no matter how many times they have turned their back on me. But idols, the moment you stop serving them, the moment you stop sacrificing to them, they fail you. The moment you, can, you stop giving up to them, they turn their backs on you. And idols, they demand sacrifice, but every sacrifice that you give to them, it comes up empty. And when we look at our relationship with God... We know that we're supposed to sacrifice some of ourselves. We're supposed to die to our flesh. We're supposed to lay down our lives. But that sacrifice that we give down to God, he blesses us so much more than we could ever expect. He gives us lives that we never could even imagine that we had. It's always a fruitful sacrifice. So we sacrifice a little so we can receive more. Sacrificing to God is a posture of your heart saying, God, I'm going to lay this down, this area of my life down, because I know that there's something more that you want me to receive. But when you sacrifice to an idol, you say, I'm sacrificing this 
and you come up empty, the only things that you're able to reap are fear. The only thing you're able to reap is discouragement. The only thing that you're able to reap is hopelessness. The only thing you're able to reap at the end of your life when you live for an idol is, man, what was the purpose of my life? I think I missed it. I think I missed it. Um, And if you look at people who um, are idolizing power or careers or money, they end up sacrificing really good things for really bad things. And you'll see people who are sacrificing their relationships. So think of a husband who's so focused or he idolizes the providing for his family. He idolizes money. He idolizes his career. He sacrifices his relationship with his children. He sacrifices his relationship with his wife. So he's sacrificing his family for what? A job that may, may or not be stable. People sacrifice um, their own personal moral standards just to receive higher positions. And so we see that these people are always left with something that is unequal to what they have sacrificed. It's always less than what they had to sacrifice. And I think a really kind of interesting story that we see in the Bible about um, idolatry and um, false gods and how they always turn up empty is if you look at the story of 1 Kings where um, the prophet Elijah was supposed to confront um, King Ahab and the prophets of Baal, 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 whatever. Um, That's how I'm going to say it. But um, it's really interesting because they had hundreds of these prophets and Elijah went to them and said, prove to me that your God is real. I want to test you to prove to me that your God is real. So they cut this bull, they sacrifice this animal, it's bloody, they put it upon the altar, they spend all night and they're crying out to this God, this God that they believe is real. And it says that there was, but there was no voice and no one answered. They sacrificed to this God. They cut this bull, they You know, to cut a bull in half is not an easy task. It takes effort. It takes time. It's messy. It's dirty. So they had this great sacrifice that they had to lay on this altar. They spent hours praying and praying and crying out and crying out and crying out. There was nothing to answer them. They heard nothing. And this is what idolatry is, is you spend all this time sacrificing to it, but you reap nothing. You reap nothing. There is nothing to answer you. There is no one, there is no God that is answering you. There is no God that is reaching out to you if you sacrifice to these false idols. And it says eventually at the end of that passage that these prophets were slaughtered. And this is the destination for a lot of people when they live for false gods. I'm not saying that you're going to get slaughtered. I'm not saying someone's going to come and kill you. What I'm saying is a lot of times when we um, chase after the wrong thing, it's our piece of our heart dies, our soul dies, we're on this path to destruction and we just spiral downwards. And in that way, our lives, it's like we are being slaughtered. It's like we are perishing because the one thing that our hearts are crying out for, the one things that our hearts desire is we're completely missing the mark and we're not receiving it. And at the end of the day, we feel empty. And at the end of the day, we feel like we have no purpose. And at the end of the day, we have no hope. And so, um, Yeah, I feel like when we think of idolatry, um, we have to recognize the reason why God wants to confront this. And if you look at the Bible, it's just filled with stories of how um, 
God wants his people to know that he should be number one. And it's not because he needs our worship to be glorified. It's not because he needs, he's insecure. It's not because um, his life is dependent upon our worship to him. But he knows that everything that we desire can only be found in him. And so the whole Bible is written of these stories of people, of God confronting certain people of certain idols in their lives. You can see from Job, God's testing him. You can see from Jonah how he's... Um, God sent him to bring a, prof- a prophetic word to the, his enemies, and yet he ran away because he was afraid that God would redeem them. And it shows like an idol of pride that he had, an idol of fear. And so there's, the Bible is filled with so many stories, story after story after story after story about God confronting the idolatry of our human hearts. And the reason why that this is important is because each and every single person in this room, each and every single person on this earth, that they have a God-given destiny. They have a God-given destiny. And God's heart is jealous for us to know his love. God's heart is jealous for us to walk in the plans and purposes that he gave to us. And it actually says in Exodus 34, 14, it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God's very name is Jealous. And it's a different jealousy than we see in the world. It's not a jealousy that stems from weakness. It's not a jealousy that stems from fear or insecurity. Um, But John Piper actually said it like this. And he said, instead, God is a jealous, like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not to the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. And so um, if you think of a marriage, if you think of a husband and wife relationship, uh, it's kind of where the husband is zealous for the full devotion of his wife. And rightfully so, you're married to him. And so if we look at our relationship, we're technically, we're called the bride of Christ, right? So we have been married to Christ. So we are his bride and he's coming for us. And so just like any good husband, he wants our full devotion. He wants all of us. And then when we start to long after other things other than our bridegroom, if a wife starts to look towards another man and starts wanting him and desiring him, a man other than her husband, the husband has a right to feel this indignation in his heart because this wife is his. And just like that, we are Christ. We belong to him. And so when we start chasing after other things, there's this jealousy that rises in God's heart because his love burns for us. And it says God's love is like a consuming fire. God's love is like a consuming fire. So everything that is within him burns for love for us. His heart, his very being, it just burns with love for his very people. So that is why he is jealous for us. And I think another reason, um, there's jealousy for your love and for your devotion to him. But there's another reason for his jealousy. And um, if you ever experience something really, really good and you're like, man, if only my friend could experience this. How amazing would that be? So have you ever experienced, like, jealousy on behalf for your friend? Not like you were jealous of them, but you're like, oh, I want them to have this so badly because I know it would be so good for them. It's like that same way with God. He knows that, man, the purposes and the plans I have for them, the love that I have for them, the freedom that I can give to them, oh, my gosh, my heart burns to give it to you. 
His heart burns for us to experience the love and the freedom that we have, we can have in him. And so when he sees us start to waver, to start turn to other ways, to start finding our freedom in other things, his heart burns with jealousy because he knows that all that we desire, all that we could ever want can be found in him alone. And so he looks to us and he's saying, my heart is burning one with love for you, but jealousy for you because I want you to live a life of freedom. I want you to live a life knowing that you have great purpose and significance in me. Will you just come to me and find it? And um, he says in his very word in Deuteronomy 7, 6, uh, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples um, who are on the face of the earth. And so this is what he said over the Israelites. But uh, this is actually similarly found in the New Testament when in First Peter 2, 9. And it says, but you are a chosen race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is the significance of your life. This is the significance of your life, that you are God's people, that you are a chosen generation, that you are a chosen nation, you are a royal priesthood. This is our very identity coming from the word of God. This is what God speaks to us. And this is our significance. This is our worth, that we were taken out of darkness into the light, that we were taken from this place where we had no mercy, where we were, our debt was death. That was a price that we had to pay for our sin, but God showed us mercy when we had no mercy. And he is jealous for us to know that. He is jealous for us to live a life like that. But when we live for other things, when we live for other gods, we're not able to tap into this mercy. We're not able to tap into this grace. And the reason why I chose this passage coming out of Deuteronomy, um, it's actually appears in Exodus 2 when Moses first gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. But uh, I felt like God was really highlighting the flow of Deuteronomy because we see that he's reminding them briefly. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and when he gives the Ten Commandments. Um, and then he goes on in chapter 6 to give... He's telling the Israelites, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And in order to obey the first two commandments, or in order to obey any commandment, we have to love the Lord our God more than anything else. And then he flows from giving the greatest commandment of loving God to then telling them their purpose and their identity, telling them that they are a chosen generation, telling them the purposes that God has planned for them. And then in chapter 8, he goes to saying, remember, remember all that God has done for you. Remember how you took out, how God took you out of Egypt. Remember how he has parted the Red Sea for you. Remember how even when you cried and you complained and you moaned, God opened up the heavens and gave you manna. Remember how God has provided for you. Remember how God has shown you these miracles. Remember. Remember, and I feel like this is a key for our hearts to be pushed back to a place where God is number one, where we can uproot these idols and put God as number one as we remember and we reflect on the goodness of God. Um, in Colossians 3, 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And later on in that um, chapter, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And 
One thing we have to get straight is idols, you can't simply remove them because our hearts, we were created to find significance in something. We were created and designed to long for something. So as soon as we remove one idol, another thing is going to take its place. And so the thing with idolatry is you can't remove it, but you have to replace it. You have to replace it, but what are you going to replace it with? Are you going to replace it with another promise? Are you going to replace it with another dream? Are you going to replace it with another ambition? Or are you going to choose to replace it with the love of Christ? Are you going to choose to replace it with the peace of Christ? And so how we replace idols in our lives is we look to Christ. We remember who God is. We remember what he has done for us. And there is a joyful repentance that needs to take place. Because if we are living for another God, we need to come to God and repent for choosing to trust in other things, for choosing to um, long after other things. And God gets pretty vulgar in the word where it says, I think in Ezekiel, he's um, coming against or he's confronting some prophets and he's saying, you chose to whore after other gods. Are we choosing to give everything, opening up our hearts, giving everything that we have to other things? Because that's what it looks like to God when we start to live for something else, that you are prostituting yourself to another God. We were meant for this covenant. We were meant for this relationship. We are meant for this purity and relationship with God. But the moment you turn away, the moment you commit adultery, a spiritual adultery in God, it's like you're prostituting yourself to something less. God paid a heavy price for you, but we're choosing to turn away and just give everything that we have something else that cannot satisfy, that can't bring completion to us, that cannot fulfill our desires. And so we need to come to this place of repentance, but it should be a a repentance that is filled with joy because we remember what God has done for us, because we know that the love of Christ is so much greater than anything that we um, have encountered. It's so much greater than even our own lack. And so, um, yeah, to rejoice is a key in when we approach God in repentance, it's because we realize, we recognize the weight of our sin, we recognize the weight of what we have done, but yet we rejoice because God wants us to know that there is joy in him. God wants us to know that there is freedom in him. And to rejoice in something is to treasure a thing, to assess its value in you, to reflect on its beauty and its importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. So rejoicing isn't just like, hey, I sinned and um, yeah, I'm happy that God forgives me. That is not rejoicing. But rejoicing is understanding the fullness of what God has done for you and realizing its value to you. And so when you uproot an idol, it needs to be uprooted and planted with the love of Christ in its place. And we know the greatness of God's love because he did not withhold his only son from us. And that is where we can find our rejoicing in. When we look to see what Abraham has done, he gave his one and only son, but yet another sacrifice had to be put in the place of Isaac. But when we look at God, that Jesus was the very son of God who was sacrificed for us. God did not withhold anything from us. And when we recognize and understand the magnitude of this love, our hearts are able to rest in him, knowing that God gave everything that he was for us, So we have a freedom and a safety and a security in giving all that we are for him. And um, like I said earlier, idols, they're like, you can consider them like slave masters. If you don't serve them or if you fail them, you will end up paying. Uh, But the gospel is so different. And this is a quote that I found, and it says, um, Jesus' response to us compared to idols is very different. And it says, 
Um, you did fail me in terms of we chase after other things and we fall. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. But instead of destroying you, I'll let myself be destroyed for you. Instead of demanding a sacrifice, I will become a sacrifice for you. And the reason why this message is so dear upon my heart, because, you know, I served on Emmaus here for um, it's my third year. And when I look in this room, when I come every Tuesday, every, every semester, there's so many students that have been in this room. And there's so many students on this campus. And God, he has such a mighty plan for every single person in this room. And his heart is burning with love for us. His heart is burning and he sees every single person here that is in this room. Every person that has come and gone. And knowing that there is a great purpose and plan for them. But the moment that we start to turn away, his heart starts to break because he knows that they are walking in ways that are only going to lead to destruction. But when I see the people in this room, when I see the faces of students who have come to Emmaus, who have walked with Christ, who have been in this very place. I see great destiny. I see power. I see nations being transformed. I see lives being transformed. I see breakthrough. I see people coming out of darkness into the light. I see broken hearts being healed. I see things that were dead coming to life. And this is what I see. And this is what God has spoken to me. And I think we need to realize the magnitude of what our life carries. There are seeds that God has planted in your heart. There are seeds of destiny that God has planted for you. But Satan, he's going to come and try and rob them. He's going to come and try and disillusion you to get you to spend your time on things that aren't worth it or to get you to elevate these things that are good, but that can't ultimately satisfy. Some people here, they're meant to change the nations in the education mountain. Some people here are meant to change the business mountain. Some people here are meant to change the governments. Some people here, they're, you're going to change your nation. But if God is not your number one, you're going to get lost. You're going to get dismayed. You're going to get confused. You're going to get swayed. But if God is your number one, you can go through any circumstance knowing that you're the God of the world, the creator of the universe, the one who sent his only son for you, the God who can bring things to life that were dead. He is for you, so nothing can be against you. If he is for you, if he is speaking truth to you, nothing can come against you. And so what I want to convey through this message is not for us to have a feeling of self-condemnation or guilt. And while we need to have a posture of repentance, we need to recognize that our significance and our worth. The reason why idolatry is so dangerous is because it removes us from knowing our significance. It removes us from knowing God's heart for us. And God wants us to know his love for us. God wants us to re-encounter his jealous love for us. 